All right, so um, if you have a Bible, please turn to Genesis. Genesis chapter 15. Uh, a really quick update. Um, last a couple weeks ago, we had our annual vision and prayer night. That's available on our website to download. You guys can get that. We're also trying to get the video um, from that night on um, online as well. Um, we had technical difficulties in the middle of, the, of that night, and power went off, and it was just crazy in here. So um, we're trying to get that on video uh, on our website, but we said there's many things to pray for. You can download it and read, but one of the things is space. Immediately, we need space, and um, last Sunday, we had over 900-something people here um, between the three services, and that's just uh, a lot of people, and that's over capacity for three services, over the capacity that we said that we would, that we would have here. So uh, we need to pray for space. We have, we have this uh, kind of tension where we really feel God's called us to the Swedish Hall in this, in this location. We love it here, so we don't want to leave, but then um, it's, too, uh, it's, it's, it's too small right now. So we're just praying. Would you pray with us? We'll just, we just know. only thing we know is this. When we, we said at our, at, our night, at our vision night, we don't know how God's going to solve these things. These, these, um, I don't, they're not even problems. They're just challenges that are ahead of us. We don't know how, but we know that God will provide. Amen? And so we're just going to trust God to do that. So would you keep praying, um, ask God to open up doors, uh, give us insight and wisdom on, on how to deal with it. Or if you have uh, $4.5 million, just give it to us, and, um, and then everything will be solved. So it would be that simple. All right. Um, I just made that number up. I have no idea how much it's going to cost to get something. I'm just thinking that might be a good number. Um, or way too low. I have, I don't know. All right, so let, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read uh, Genesis chapter 15, butcher the last two verses of it, and then pray, and then, uh, and then we'll get into, into chapter 15 of Genesis. Uh, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, um, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my, of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have uh, given me no offspring, and the member of my own household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he, Abraham, believed the Lord, and he, God, counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as a, to possess. But he said, O Lord, how will I know? How am I to know that I shall possess it, possess this? He said to him, bring me an heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these. He cut them in half, laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And the birds of the prey came down on the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. And the sun was going down, and a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they will come up out with great possessions. As far as for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On the day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, 
to your offspring I give this land, from the river Egypt to the great river Euphrates, and the land of the, the Canaanites and the, the Kenizzites and the Kadamites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the and Rephraim and Amorites and the Canaanites and the Girgashites and the Jebusites. <laughs> Told you. Okay, let's pray. God, thank you for your word. I know that this is uh, pretty, pretty removed from our uh, lives today, um, especially that whole part where um, how will I know and then give me a, a ram and a heifer and, and doves and all these things, Lord. Th- this is somewhat removed, so we ask for insight and understanding. Would you help us um, to understand this text so we can learn your heart, who you are, that we would place, I pray that this church would place their faith in the Lord. That our faith will not be in our faith, that our faith will not be in our church, our faith will not be in our city or our nation or this world, but our faith would be squarely fixed upon the Lord. And so whatever you need to disrupt in our own lives right now, that you would do that. We, Lord, we give you access. If we can even pray that prayer right now, we give you access to our lives to disrupt it. Whatever needs to happen, God, that our faith is squarely upon you. I know that's a dangerous, very scary prayer. but I pray it for this church. Organize my thoughts, Lord. Anoint my lips. I need your help. Lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've been uh, studying and reflecting on the book of Genesis for um, several months now. And through the narrative of Genesis chapter uh, 1 through 11, it's, uh, we've said that it's moved very fast. I've actually likened it the last couple of weeks to... Um, um, Terrence Malick's uh, movie, The Tree of Life, where like there's this, the context is like from the beginning of time, and then it lands on a certain character, and that's kind of how the narrator here of the book of Genesis is telling the story. He starts with from the very beginning of time, he flashes the context of the creation of the world when, when there was this primordial darkness, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God brings order out of chaos, and he gives order to everything. It's like the song of creation that happens at the beginning, and then Adam and Eve, the first marriage, and then they fall and then the first murder, uh, Cain and Abel, and then you got um, the, the whole earth is exceedingly wicked. Now there's cities, and you're like, where, where do these cities come from? It's been like four chapters since the world has been, and we have cities now, and the whole earth is corrupt. This doesn't make any sense. But you're, you, what you kind of find out is that this narrator is telling a story. He's moving the story along, and he's building tension along the way, and some of the tension is How will God redeem this earth? How will God, once he made it so beautiful and so right and so perfect that has now fallen, how will he redeem it back to himself? And the first answer comes in the Noahic flood. He floods the earth, but then everything gets on the ark and so does sin. Sin gets on the ark as well and sin gets off the ark and there's sin all over again. Before you know it, everyone on the earth is trying to build this tower up to God saying, we don't need you anymore, God. We can handle this ourselves. We'll make a name for ourselves. And God confuses their language. At the end of chapter 11, which is kind of like a prologue to where it lands in chapter 12, at the end of chapter 11, there's this question that kind of hangs over the narrative so far. And the question is, how will God redeem this thing? Everyone's scattered. Everyone's speaking different language now. How will God now bring a people and, 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 and redeem a people like he promised Adam and Eve that from your womb, from your seed will come one who will crush the serpent's head, who will crush the, the opposition's head, who will crush Satan's head. How will this happen? And the narrative falls on this single man. His name is Abram. And now the narrative stops. It slows down. Now we're like four chapters into this narrative and it's still just him 
Uh, it's just about his life and his wanderings and what he's doing. And there it falls on him, and it falls on him in a certain way. It says, Abram, I want you to leave everything. I want you to leave your kindred, your house. I want you to leave your inheritance, and I want you to leave your land. This is why. The Tower of Babel, there's this thing where they said, I wanna, we want to make a name for ourselves. And God says to Abram, I will make a name for you. Like, all those people try to make a name for themselves. I'll make you a name. So you leave your family and your kindred. I'll give you a new family. I'll make for you a nation. I will do that. Leave your land. I will give you a land. Leave your inheritance. I will be your inheritance. Abram does, and he goes. He doesn't know where he's going at first. God just tells him to go, and we talked about this last week, which I think is that there are certain phrases that keep coming up in, um, in this book of Genesis that I absolutely love, and one of them is, and I talked about this last week, go, and I will show you. You remember that? Go. God tells Abram, I want you to go. Go where? Go, and I will show you. That's the essence of faith. Go and I'll show you on the way. I'll show you as you're in relationship with me. I'll show you as you're communing with me, as you're communicating to me. I'll talk to you. You talk to me. It'll be like that. Go and I will show you. So he goes. There's this theme that comes up that's been um, implicit so far in the text, and that's obvious. It's faith. But it's explicit here in chapter 15. This is, faith doesn't get more explicit than this, than this verse here that is the center of I think of Genesis, probably center of the Old Testament and is carried over into the New Testament. And Abraham, verse 6, believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Abram believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. This is explicit. Abram believed God. Abram, Abraham, his name has changed. It's Abram now. It will be Abraham in a couple chapters. Don't trip. You're like, I think he's getting his name wrong. No, I know his name, okay? It just changes. So everyone calls him Abraham. I might flip-flop. I don't know yet. Okay, so it's, he believes God. This, this is when faith is made explicit. He believes him. He believes everything that God said, all of his promises, and it's accounted to him as righteousness. Now, I've always found it very difficult, somewhat difficult to preach on faith. Even after the, the first two services this morning, I'm still tweaking it and moving it around. It's just so difficult to teach on faith for me. And this is... Uh, some of the reason why is because the, the, the word or, or the topic of faith has been so convoluted. It's so, it's so um, slippery. As soon as you think you understand faith, you don't understand faith. As soon as you think you get it, like, oh, I, I get it. Oh, I, I just, I lost it. I had it, but now it's gone. Um, and so that's why, that's part of why faith and teaching on faith is difficult. But another reason why is because some people, when I say faith, and when I bring up the topic of faith, I ask you, do you have faith? And some people, a lot of people do have faith. And if I was asked you, what is your faith in? What is your faith about? Explain to me your faith. Faith is this, they, they believe that faith is a simple belief that everything will work out. Maybe you've heard that. I believe that it will all work out in the end. That's what my faith is in. I have faith that it will somehow work out. And that's where your faith is. And that might be the extent of your faith. You have no object of faith. You're, the object of your faith is really fate. Like, I, I believe that the future will work itself out. And some people even tag a verse to it. Um, all things work together for good. The Bible says that somewhere, I think. So um, that's kind of what I believe. I believe in fate. I believe it'll all work itself out in the end. But at the beginning of that verse, it says, God works everything out for good for those who love God and call according to his purposes. So there's, with a faith in just a future, is no real faith. You can't, that doesn't have any bite, no teeth. You can't, sink your, you can't sink your mind into that. It's just like you believe in the future. That's not really saying anything. 
Other people think of faith like currency. Faith is like money. The more you have, the more stuff you get from God. So God's like, God, I want this. Well, that's going to cost 500 faith. I'm good for that. I have a lot of faith. I believe, Lord. I believe, and I believe it. I believe you for this. And so faith is like a currency. If I have a lot of it and I give it to God, then I get a lot of good stuff in return. The object of your faith in this instance is your, the strength of your faith. It's not God yet. It's still in the strength of your faith. You believe that your faith is strong. You have faith in your faith. Now, faith must have a true object. Faith in fate will never satisfy because we'll just end up giving up. Faith in sh- the strength of our faith will never last. This will either breed um, self-righteousness where we believe that we got this thing because I believed enough and we'll turn to people in our community group and we're like, you just don't believe enough. That's why you're unemployed. If you believed enough like I believed, then you wouldn't be in the situation that you're in. Or that's why you're still single. Believe or whatever. It just breeds self-righteousness. You feel like, I have what I have because I believe enough. That's, that's not true. Or on the other end, it'll, it'll, it'll make you think that God owes you. God, I believed you. You owe me. I believed you a lot. I had faith for 500 there, and I got nothing. So you owe me. Neither of those are the way that we are to approach faith. Abraham, with the life of Abraham, faith has an object. Faith rests on something. And what we find is that it rests solely upon God, nothing else. And so these two things, uh, these two questions that, that we're gonna, I'm going to put up on the screen right now are, are two questions that, that kind of collide in chapter 15 and then wrestle through the chapter. I, I was going to break these two questions up um, into two sermon points, but they just don't work that way. They're more like two animals that kind of, that like rams that kind of butt heads and like wrestle through the chapter, okay? That's probably a stupid analogy, but you know, you get what I'm saying, okay? So this is, these are two questions that collide in chapter 15, or 15 and roll through the chapter. Here they are. Can Abraham trust? That's the first question that we're approached with. Can Abraham trust this God? Can he trust? He, he, it sounds like, if you, if you remember from what I just read, it sounds like he's wavering. How will I know? What's gonna happen? I am still childless. How do I know this land's gonna be mine? He's, can he really trust this God? But the other question that wrestles, that we wrestle through in this text is, can God be trusted? Can Abraham trust kind of collides with can God be trusted? And these two questions rumble and tumble through chapter 15. Chapter 15 begins with God speaking to Abram saying, fear not. Fear not, Abraham, or Abram, Abraham, his name later is changed to Abraham. Please don't trip. Don't act like I don't know his name. I know his name. It's Abram here. It will be Abraham. Okay? Everybody cool with that? Okay. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield, God says. Your reward shall be very great. Now, there's a lot of, there's several commentators and people that I've read that like really wrestle through why God tells Abram not to fear here. This chapter opens up with what, don't fear, Abram. One possible suggestion or one possible conclusion is whenever an angel or God shows up, the first words out of their mouth normally is do not fear because they're transcendent beings. They're angels. It's God. I mean, if God shows up to you, the first, your first reaction isn't like, awesome. It's like, oh my God, it's awesome. But in the real sense of the word, it's like awe-inspiring, like God. And you, you might have a heart attack, maybe. I don't know. And God's like, don't fear. And this is maybe what's going on here. I don't know. 
Other people have suggested, well, if you read chapter 14, which we didn't read tonight, Abraham um, rescues his nephew Lot. Lot gets taken by this and overcome by this uh, conglomeration of, of armies. And then when one of, one of Lot's servants runs away and gets free, runs to Abraham and says, Abram, um, your nephew Lot has just been taken by these kings. And Abraham mounts up like Liam Neeson and, and Taken, and he like goes and kicks butt, okay? He goes there, you can read the chapter for yourself, goes there, wipes everybody out and brings his nephew back and brings, I mean, Abram can fight, and brings back um, the, the wives that they took, all, their all the possessions that they stole from Lot, and gets it all back. Now, some people go, well, he's in fear because he just came back from war. But he kicked butt in war. So I doubt he's afraid, okay? I don't think he's really afraid of those guys that he just beat up. Normally, you're not afraid of people that you just beat up, okay? I think he's afraid because of what he says next. Look at, chap look at verse 2 and 3. God goes to Abram and, and, and says, Abram, fear not. And Abram says this. O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. It seems the fear arises from the question of being childless still. It seems there's something that Abram's wrestling with in his own heart, in his own soul, he still remains childless. God has promised that I will give you a child, I will give you land, I will give you an inheritance, I will do all these things for you. And as Abram's now following God for, and it's only been two chapters and one week for us, but he's been following God now for about 10 years. About 10 years he's following God. About 10 years ago now, God made a promise, I will bless you and I will give you a child. And for, for those 10 years, month after month, passes by. He sees his wife, Sarai, who he's been married to for like 100 years or something. Not really, but I mean a long time. And she is growing older, and he looks at her, and month goes by, and then month goes by, and then month, and he's thinking, is this going to be the month where my wife's like, something is changed, like something, I think, happened. Like something's changing in me. I think I, think I might be pregnant. I, I think I might month after month, and he has believed God. God will, will give me a, a son. God will give me an heir. And month after month after month goes by, and there's nothing, and nothing, and nothing. And almost 10 years goes by, and nothing. And his heart begins to fear. Was I an absolute fool to leave everything I had and trust in this God? Was I a fool? The fear is this. It's a fear that I think anyone who's ever followed God deals with. The fear is, will God come through? Will God come through on his promise? I mean, have you ever noticed how God is never on time for anything? Have you ever noticed this? Have you ever followed God long enough to go, God, you're like never on time at all, and it like really, really bugs me. Like you say something and then it just like years go by or weeks go by or minutes go by and the things that you said are going to happen haven't happened yet. This and when that forever goes by and what I mean by well, he's never on time, he's never on our time. And when that forever goes by, a fear sets in. It's a fear that sets in that, will, that says, will God ever come through on this? 
Was I a fool to believe in God? Will God ever get me through this? I thought that I would overcome this struggle by now. I thought I'd overcome this hurt by now. I thought I'd overcome this situation by now. I thought I would have everything that I needed. I thought once I moved here or did this or said this, I thought that everything was going to line up perfectly for me. Why hasn't it happened yet? I was sure if I made that right decision to follow God in this area, I'm sh- I was sure that everything would line up, my, maybe career path or maybe relationships or maybe hurt or pain, whatever, all these things would line up and I would be healed of these things, I would be given these things, but nothing has happened yet and you grow weary and you grow tired and you want to give up and you get, you get fearful like, was I a complete idiot? Did I hear God wrong? Did I, did I misstep? Did, what? And you start this sort of thing and so God goes to Abram like, fear not. I am your shield. I am your great reward. I will reward you greatly. But what's beautiful here is that there is this relationship that Abraham has with God. A relationship that he has with him. He actually, and this might sound bad, but it's not. He questions God. He doesn't question God in the way that you and I think, like, God, like, what do you... He converses with God. Let, let me ask you to think, maybe you're, 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 you're really close to somebody. It might be a, a spouse or a best friend or a family member. Is there any relationship that you have that you're close with somebody where you don't ask questions? If you don't ask questions, I would, I would say that that relationship is probably dead. If you stop asking God questions, why do you ask people questions? Don't you want to know their heart? When you're asking them, how do you feel? What's going on? Why did you do that? Aren't you wanting to get to know who they are? Why'd you make that decision? Isn't that just kind of probing their heart? And why would you ever, ever stop asking God questions? He's not reprimanded for this. He, Abraham, asked God questions. The only other time up to this point, no one has really conversed with God. No one at all since chapter four when Cain did. God has spoken, but no one has really spoken back. But here, that silence is broken with Abraham saying, God, I, I don't have a child yet. Like, you said I would have a, a kid by now. You, 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 you promised me. I, I mean, I left everything. And you said once I left everything and I followed you, you would provide these things. Why am I still in this situation? Nothing has changed. My situation hasn't changed for about 10 years. The only thing that's changed is this. I have no land. And you've said you'd probably, you said you said you'd give me land. I have no family. You, you said you'd give me one. I mean, I have no, I, my circumstances are like worse now that I followed you than I had before. I want you to think, this is like a real, Abraham was a real person. And we're not making this up. This is someone who really followed God. And, and we kind of detach ourselves from this, like, well, that was then. I mean, I mean when, God, when I pray, God like, happens like that, and everything falls into place, and it's perfect. If that's you, be on our prayer team or something, okay? <laughs> Volunteer for something here or something. Well, I mean, she'd be one of our pastors here. Something, do something like that. Like, that's probably nobody in here. That's not me. That's nobody that approaches the prayer team on, uh, on, on Sundays. That's no one I really, we really count with. I mean, everybody's like, I, I'm, I'm still believing God for things. There's still things that I see. I want God to work in me and work out of me and do in my life, and I'm still waiting. This is the posture of the, of a, of, of the people of God. But Abraham questions. Now, 
this, these questions that Abraham has might seem like doubt. God, um, I don't have any kids. I don't have any land. That might seem like doubt. Now, I want to free you up. If you feel like you can't ask God questions because it sounds like doubt, I want, I want to release you from this, and I want, I want you to understand that doubt is a part of faith. There's a reality of faith that, that is doubt. Doubt is the dark side of faith. The reason I have faith is because there is this reality there that's doubt that even creeps into my own heart that I have to have faith, that I have to apply faith to doubt. Doubt is a part of faith. Let me give you a, a maybe a more, a more biblical understanding of doubt. If you feel like I, I, I'm doubting the promises of God, I, let me give you a biblical understanding of what to do with doubt. This is, this is what doubt is. Doubt is faith-seeking understanding. Could you write that down somewhere, please, or remember this? Doubt is faith-seeking understanding. It's like this. God, I don't know how you're going to do this, but I'm going to keep pressing into your heart, pressing into your word, pressing into who you are, and seek understanding. It's not rejection of God. It's not like Cain when he questioned God, who, am I my brother's keeper? I'm like, I'm totally going to reject everything that you're going to say. Abraham's not rejecting God. His questions are, are, are open-ended, like an open relationship. God, you said these things, and I just want to know, like, what's happening with this? Abraham came with honest questions. But these questions do reveal doubt. Now, is doubt okay? Doubt is okay. I would say it's actually impossible to avoid doubt. Abraham is pretty far into a life of following God by faith. He's somewhere like 10 years of, like 10 years of following God by faith. He's left everything. And you see him two, ten, uh, close to 10 years later, and he still has these seeds of doubt. There's still this doubt that's there. He's left everything behind, but there's still doubt. Notice that Abraham doesn't reject God in his doubt. He embraced God in his doubt through questions, through dialogue, through trust. This is the nature of true relationship. And the second that faith no longer asks questions and seeks understanding, faith dies. A faith that no longer asks questions is no longer alive. If you have stopped if you have stopped asking God questions, if you have stopped dialoguing, if you have stopped going to his word and like, God, what about that? If you've stopped doing that, I w your faith is on the point of dying. If, if, see, there's two, there's two kind of sides to, to questioning that I think a lot of us wrestle with. I think the, the worst side of, of questioning is like we think we can't question because questions kind of kind of exposed out. It's okay. God's not afraid of them. This is what relationship is about. So Abraham asks, Abraham asks, what can you give me? I have no children. And God didn't respond by saying, what did you say to me, human? What, what did you, what are, what are you talking, I mean, really? You're going to talk to me about, he doesn't do that at all. God doesn't respond to him that way. God responds by saying, Abraham, you will have an heir, and it will be from your, you'll be your own son, your own son. And then God does this. And I wrote this, this um, last week, there's that phrase that I, I wrote in my Bible, um, go and I will show you. These little phrases kind of bring to my mind just the whole, the whole theme of, of what we've been studying. This one, if I, I, I might have titled the sermon like this if it, was, if it wasn't too artsy, 
It's way too artsy to title a sermon this way. But um, I wrote, like stars. Write that somewhere. Okay, I know it's super artsy. Like, oh my gosh, like stars. Okay, this is what, this is what Abram is told by God. God. Okay, Abraham, go, come over here. Okay, look in the heavens. And Abraham does. He looks. He's like, say, start counting. Abraham's like, oh, I'm not even going to play that game. Like, there's no way I can count the stars. And this is what God says. It'll be like that. Your offspring will be like that. Now, before this gets all like romantic and like, oh, the stars. Listen, okay, almost, God almost, if it wasn't almost blasphemous to say this, he almost bamboozles them, okay? He almost like tricks them a little bit. Because if you notice here, God doesn't do anything at all to Abraham. He doesn't, he doesn't like build his faith at all at this point. He doesn't go like, hey, Abraham, you don't believe me? Okay, watch this. Sarah, come in here. And then Sarah walks in and she's like eight months pregnant. She's like, oh my gosh, what just happened? This is amazing. <laughs> I mean, that would have been like, okay, I get that. I get that. He doesn't do any of that. Like, there's nothing, there's nothing tangible here. There's no tangible promise at all, at all. He doesn't go, look at, it, look at Sarah. She's, she's like, eight months, I told you. Didn't I tell you? Abraham, I told you. N- nothing. He says, look at the stars. I'm looking. It'll be like that. That's it. Like, it's still intangible. Like, how do I, what do I, okay, how, Oh, the stars. It's like, it'll be like the stars. It'll be a lot. He still gives them this intangible promise. This is only meant to increase the paradox in the narrative. Abraham still has to do something. He still has to believe. And so, the narrator here leaves Abraham stargazing. Okay, the, narr- the narrator kind of does this. He, he's like talking about the, he's like God, and then Abraham, and then uh, and then uh, God, and then they're like dialogue, and they're talking, and the narrator breaks, and he leaves Abraham like stargazing, and he says this. He gives a little commentary in Abraham's heart. He just tells us what's going on in his heart, and he says this in verse 6, and he believed the Lord. See that? Here's Abraham looking at all the stars, and guys, I can't, I can't explain this to you. As a pastor, I can't explain it. If you've been here, you know. If you haven't been here, you probably don't know. There's a moment where God proves himself to you, but he doesn't prove himself to you. He, he just, he, he, he says, I'll do it. And there's something that happens in our heart where we go, I believe you. It wasn't, the, it wasn't like God wrote it in the sky. It wasn't like the sign. It wasn't like fireworks. It wasn't someone walking up. It was just this simple, like, this thing in your heart that you knew I mean, Abraham could have been looking at the stars, and, and Abraham could have been like, it'll be like that, and, and Abraham could have been like, look at how, look at the number of stars in the sky, and God made all those. Why am I worried about my life? That could have happened. We're not told. He could have looked at the stars and said, look at, look at, look at what's going on here. Look at how big this is, and how small I am, and how big God is. <clears throat> Surely he can make his promises known, but we don't know. He could have looked up in the stars and said, look, look, look at how God holds all those things in the sky. He makes the, the, the earth turn. He, he makes the sun um, fixed and, and the earth go around the sun and all these stars all over the galaxy. Look at what he holds together. I trust, but we don't know. Or he could have just went, wow. And there's this thing that happens in his heart where he says, I believe. This might happen when you're just about to propose to somebody or you're coming to that place where you're going, is this person the right one or not? And then you, 
and, and, and God just let, like, says, believe me. And you just go, I know. And this is this phrase used all the time. And how did you know? Like, I knew that I knew. Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> this is what Abraham's saying. I, I just knew that I knew. Like, he just looks to the sky. He goes, I, I just know. This could happen in a, 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 just a huge move to, to take a leap of faith. You've heard that statement before. This is where all this stuff comes from. All of it comes from right here, where Abraham just looks in the sky and he says, I, I just believe. I can't explain it, but you couldn't convince me otherwise. I believe. And then the, commentator, the, the narrator says, and God accounted it to him as righteousness. What that means, before you want to jump to the New Testament, because we always want to do that. Like, well, Paul um, in Romans and James, in the book of James, like everyone, okay, let's, before we get New Testament, let's, what does it mean here? It means that Abraham is in a right relationship with God. You know what a right relationship with God is? You're not God. He's God. And so you're, you're wrestling with questions like, when will God do this? Uh, if you keep reading, at the, at the very end, you got that verse um, towards the end of this chapter where it says, uh, verse 16, and they shall come back here, the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. I love that little nug that God just drops in there. Like this random, like, what and the, why are you talking about the Amorites and like the sin of them? It's, this is what God's saying. Abraham, I'm, I'm like working things out in your life and, and I'm not just working things out in your life, I'm actually working things out in the world. In the whole world. And in order to line everything up perfectly, I have to actually deal with other people in the world too, not just you. Do you see that? Like we think, God, why me? Why this? He's like, okay, listen, I know we'll get to your thing. Just believe me. But I'm, into, I'm lining up like nations here as well. <laughs> like I'm, I'm dealing with things in, in China and I'm dealing with things in like, in like other countries. I can't think of any right now. I'm just late in the day. I'm lining up all these other countries and all these other people for this to happen rightly. I'm still, I'm working all this stuff out. And it's not just you, though you're an important piece of this whole thing. It's not just about you. I'm actually unfolding my plan of, of history. And you have to understand that. Do you get that? Like God's actually working things out that are, the, the, um, when I was a kid, I used to think that this is, I ne I've never even really said this from um, a pope before. I used to think before I was a Christian that the whole world was literally revolving around me. And I would think this really systematically. I'd be driving a car. I'm like, what if everybody was like on earth and they know me, but they're acting like they don't know me. <laughs> and the whole world, like I was, there was no really history. They just made that up before I got here. It's like the Truman Show. You know, like what if that was really happening right now in my life? This was before the Truman Show ever like even came. When it was there, I'm like... See, someone else was in my head. Like, we have this idea that the whole world revolves around us. It doesn't. It doesn't. God is working this thing out. And we're like, when, Lord? Why? What? Who? What? God's like, believe me, but I'm also, like, working all these other things out. To where, have you ever had this happen where something lines up, but now all these things line up? And you're like, I would have never, I couldn't, I couldn't have done that. How did you, and then you, and then this, and that, and this is just so bizarre, this is what God's doing. Abraham is in right relationship with God. And right relationship with God is this, I trust you. You are the Lord. You are the Lord, and I'm not. God has told Abraham his plan for history, namely that Abraham will have a, have a great nation, be a great people, 
And Abraham took it seriously. He took it so seriously that Abraham adjusted his life to it. Abraham adjusted his life to the promises of God. Like changed everything. Like think about that. Like sometimes we're like, oh God, can fit into my thing. Abraham like adjusted his whole life to follow the plan of God. And then God says, I will give you this land. And Abraham responds, again, another question. How will I know that I'll get this land, God? How will I know that you're going to give me this land? Another great question. And then, again, just to prove that we're kind of removed from the context of the Bible, this might be funny. If you're reading through the one-year Bible, you get to this, you might laugh out loud. I did. It's just funny. It's like, God, how will I know? And God's like, bring me a heifer (laughs) and a goat and a ram and a turtle dove and a pigeon. Now, you're reading that, you're like, oh my gosh, the Bible is so weird. Why would God ask for these things? Like, this is, this is awkward, okay? Like, whenever you ask God, God, how will I know? I need a cow. You're like, well, where am I going to get a cow? I'm like, I don't know. Where am I going to get a cow at? I know, there's places, but listen. This, we might not know what this means, but Abraham knew exactly what this was. He knew exactly what this meant. What God was saying, in, in, in essence, if I was like to try to pull this over, um, interpret this to today. Like if I was trying to pull it over, I would say, God said this, assemble our legal counsel and draft up a very binding contract. That's what God was saying to him. I mean, this is way more binding than the contract, but God was saying that. You want to know, Abraham, do you want to know that I, I'm going to do this? Okay, assemble the team. Assemble the legal team, get the lawyers, get, get the, the people that, that sign, I don't even know, like the notaries and all, get all those people together and draft up the most binding contract you've ever drafted up. Because I'm, I'm, I'm about to show you right now. I'm going to bind myself to this promise. That's exactly what was going on. They lived in a very verbal, very visual culture. And so they would do this thing. They would, they would, they would do what's called a covenant. And they would take these animals and they would cut them in half. And they would separate them. And then, they, and then the two people that were entering in the covenant would walk between them. And they would say this. May, may, may this happen to me. May I be cut in two and my blood thrown everywhere if I break this covenant. Let this happen to me if I fail on the, in this covenant. This is how people would sign contracts then. I mean, try that out somewhere. I mean, actually, don't try that out somewhere. But people know you're serious then. Like, contract, nothing. Watch this. Like, may it be like, I mean, that's pretty visual. That's pretty graphic. And this is what, this was happening. God's like, I'm gonna bind myself to you. I'm gonna bind myself to this promise. And this is how I'll do it. And then he, and, and Abraham does. He, he does, as soon as, and this is kind of in, in, in the text as well. It's kind of interesting. As soon as Abraham cuts these animals in half and separates them, it says birds of prey came to like take away. As soon as God was about to break, make a covenant with Abraham, there's opposition immediately. There's this opposition. What does Abraham do? He shoes it all away. But then it says this, and, and, and just like turn of events, this is not supposed to happen. Abraham and God were supposed to walk down this covenant, and God was supposed to say, I'll do this, and Abraham was supposed to say, and then I will do this, God. You will do this to me, and I will, God, I will do that. I'll keep obeying you. I'll never, ever, I'll always eat my vegetables, and I'll, and I'll tithe, and I'll do it. Like, he was supposed to, con- like, bind himself to God, but, but God's, like, puts him into a deep sleep, and he falls asleep. And then it says this. A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed through the pieces. You're like, okay, what is that? It's not Abraham, and it's not another human. It's the same language used on the fire that came down on Mount Sinai, the fire that came down in in the Exodus to show the presence of God. What it's saying is this, God passed through the pieces himself, and Abraham didn't. 
What this is saying is that God is binding himself to this promise that Abraham will receive a children, a nation, a land. And God will do it, and he promises, because he can swear on no one higher, he swears upon himself. I will do this, and I bind myself. May I be cut in half, and may my blood be spilt out everywhere if I don't do this. Now, did God, did God honor the covenant? Absolutely. We're going to study that as it unfolds. But on the night that Jesus was betrayed, during supper, he had this long supper, traditionally called the Last Supper, with his disciples. And during it, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And at the end of supper, he took the cup and he said this, this is my blood. This cup is the cup of the new covenant. The people of God get a new covenant that's in my blood, not the blood of bulls, not the blood of goats, not the blood of heifers or turtle, turtle doves or whatever. It's my blood. I am promising myself, swearing myself to you through a covenant that can never be broken, through a covenant that's by his own blood. We get to be brought into a relationship with God. Abraham was called a friend of God. We are being brought into that same relationship with God. How? By our performance? No. By doing anything? No. What did Abraham do? Nothing. God's like, I'll do it. I'll pass through it. I'll do it myself. And what do we do to receive the new covenant? What do we do to receive forgiveness and restoration and a relationship with God? What do we do? Nothing. And what did Christ do? He was cut in two. He's the one that blood out. He's the one that gave his life. And so when we ask, when we come to these points in our life, we're like, God, how will I know that, that you'll never leave me nor forsake me? How will I know that you're really, you're really working all this stuff out? How will I know? It's not a bad question to ask. That's what Abram asked. God, how will I know that I'll, these things will happen? And God said, get a heifer, get a turtle dove. And when we ask these questions, God, how will I know how do I know that these things are going to happen? How do I know that, you will, that your promises will never fail? Romans 5, 8 says, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God shows his love, demonstrates it, proves it to us. What we have to do is believe. This last week, when I was studying for this, I was reading through a really good biblical theology, a book on biblical theology called A Christian Faith by Michael Horton. And in it, he was talking about this, this interplay, this battle or apparent battle of faith and reason. And his conclusion, there's no real battle, but anyway. Um, and he says this in, in, in this in this chapter. He says, it's not reason that recoils before such miracles as ex nihilo creation which is creation out of nothing. Like when I say God created everything we see out of nothing. And Horton's saying, it's not reason that recoils when you hear that. Or it's not reason that recoils when you hear the things about the Exodus or the virgin birth or the atoning death and the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not, it's not, it's not our reason that recoils. Rather, it's the fallen heart of the reasoners that refuses to entertain even the possibility of a world in which such divine acts occur. 
the, the real problem is that uh, when I say these things, Christ died for us to bring us into relationship with God. He atoned for our sins. He made us right before God. How are we right before God? By believing upon Jesus. And you're like, uh, prove it. It's not, it's not reason that kicks in and recoils. It's our hearts that go, that go, there's no way. I don't even want to entertain the possibility of a world in which such divine acts occur. It's our heart. Let me encourage you, and this might be a step, a, a giant leap for you. I don't know where you're at tonight. Let me invite you to entertain the possibility of a world in which such divine acts occur. This is what Abram did under the stars that faithful night. He stood under the canopy of the heavens and he entertained the possibility that God can give this old man with a barren wife as many descendants as that milky sky had that night. He believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Have you ever considered that it might be your own hurt, your own brokenness, your own fallenness, or maybe what you believe or what actually happened when the church sinned against you? It might be those things that you don't believe in God. Could it be something either outside of you or something inside of you? That's a real reason. Allow me, you, allow me to give you a prayer that Jesus honored from a man with imperfect faith. This man prayed to Jesus and said to Jesus, he said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Like, I believe that you can do that, but there is doubt circling inside of me. There's unbelief that's like wound its way in my heart. I believe, would you help my unbelief? Would you help the parts of me that still don't believe? And so I want to invite you tonight to, to, if you could muster up the courage or even the faith to pray that, God, I believe. Maybe even the thought of me be, even becoming a Christian like makes you recoil like, oh my gosh, I can't, I don't even, can't even imagine calling myself a Christian. And you want to, but you're like, what does that mean? I believe. God, would you help my unbelief? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that tonight, I pray that tonight you would, you would answer a lifetime of questions, a lifetime of doubt with, a, with your presence. Not, you might not solve it all right now. We might wake up in the same exact circumstance tomorrow. We, maybe not, but more than likely we will. Like Abram did. He actually woke up several more years without a son. But I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. I pray that there would be that moment. Moment where it would be like those stars. Where we see them and we hear your voice saying, believe. And then our hearts would believe. I pray for those moments tonight for us, for those that are really, really in this place of desperation, in this place of unbelief, in this place of doubting, in this place of fear, speak tonight. I trust that you will, God. In Jesus' name, amen.